0: Well, welcome everybody to the Solar Insights podcast. My name is Eric Sar. I've got Espo here, Greg Esposito of the Phoenix Suns. He was there for a long, for a while there. How are you doing, Greg?
1: Doing great. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. It's a wonderful day outside. We had a great Christmas, and now it's time to get some basketball. The Suns had a great game last night against the Toronto Raptors. They won ninety nine to ninety one. And it was an interesting game, and they uh, came out victorious over a top contender in the East. What did you think of the game, or the Suns? how the Suns have been doing generally?
1: Well, I think if uh, the Suns were in the Eastern Conference, we'd be in a much better position than, uh, than we are in the West right now, because they've had some uh, success this season, and in the previous few seasons, against Eastern Conference uh, teams, but you know, it's always good to see them come out and get a victory against a top select team like the Raptors, and th- you know, they started to lean more on, on the youth. You saw Tyler Eulis last night score 10 points. He was in double figures for the second time in his career. And just, you gotta like that they're starting to figure out, okay, maybe the idea of making the playoffs this year was a, a little far-fetched. Maybe it is time to, you know, let guys like Jared Dudley and Leandro Barbosa ride the pine a little bit more. And give uh, you know, Dragon Bender, Tyler Euliss, Marquise Chris, uh, you know even you know Williams a little bit to some playing time and and really prepare for the future and, and get some wins with these young guys because that's going to be more beneficial than anything else they could do this year.
0: Definitely yes. I always I never thought it was really going to be feasible at the beginning of the season, but uh, definitely towards as the, as every game goes along, this should be somewhat more minutes for Bender and Chris. and I mean, Chris has been starting for a while, but still more minutes, more crunch time as he learns how to play and um, hedge pick and rolls and things like that, how to keep his head in the game and really know when to pick his spots for sure. But the funny thing is I was looking at the standings and with the way Portland has faltered, while the Suns are are in a three-way tie with the Timberwolves and Mavericks for the worst uh, record in the East or the West with uh, 10 wins, they're only... Four wins away from the Sacramento Kings in eighth place. There's there's a uh, Kings, Nuggets, Trailblazers, Pelicans, Lakers, Wolves, Mavericks, and Suns all within four games of each other. The the West of the after number seven is just really bad this year. So they, yeah, they have a chance, a, it, but it's not going to happen.
1: It, it's a little bit of fool's gold, though. Yeah, you, know, you look at that. And okay, yeah, you're four games out, but you do have the worst record in the Western Conference. You were bad last year, and you know continuing to perpetuate the thought that okay you're only four games out and that you're going to make some magical run when you're just not playing well and you're doing it at the expense of developing the young guys just doesn't make a lot of sense it's probably the worst scenario that could have happened for this team is somewhat being in the playoff picture somehow even though they're they've been abysmal this season it hasn't been good there hasn't been a lot of you know positives in terms of You know wins and losses this year, and now you sit there and you've got a guy like Earl Watson as your head coach, who very bright guy, but he he's motivated to win, which all coaches are, but he has a particular thought that that they could surprise the world and make the playoffs this year, and by being so close to that, even though you're playing so bad, it kind of hinders playing some of these young guys. It's why I think you saw. Jared Dudley did so many minutes early on, and P.J. Tucker's played so much. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they're showcasing for trade. No, I actually think it was because Earl Watson really felt that he had a shot at that eighth seed in the playoffs. And it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to operate that way
0: to me. Yeah, and that's, I think that's why there is a division, or for most teams, there's a division between the president of operations or the GM and the coach, because as a coach, you are... Absorbed in the game-to-game, day-to-day business in terms of, I'm going to develop these players and I'm going to make us win. That's what my job is. And the GM is more long, forward-looking, trying to make a sustainable product for the franchise. Um, so as, as long as they... I mean, they can obviously try as hard as they can. As long as you play Bender and Chris around an average of 20 minutes a game, it's it's fine, um, and hopefully you can do that. I think I think it's smart... I'm of the mind that Jared Dudley is the one that um, put into Watson and McDonough saying, hey, play, play Bunder Moore, don't play me as much, and let's, let's see how this goes, because he is just a savvy veteran. I think that was probably his call. We'll see, though. Probably will come out sometime down the line. Um, so we'll, I want to talk about the young guys in a little bit, but I wanted to get your uh, take on some of these legend players back when you were with the Suns, a little before that. I want to hear any any interesting stories you have about Steve Nash. What do you thought of him as a person, as a player? What do you what do you what do you see in person? Well,
1: I, I think my favorite Steve Nash story was probably my first year with the team, which was his last year. I was on my uh, my first road trip with the team. We went to L.A. for a uh, for one game and back. And usually, that's how the uh, rookie on the staff uh, would get to go on his first trip. It would be a uh, A one gamer so they they sent me over there and it happened to be the off night when we got there grant hill was premiering his duke documentary that he that he was kind of the mind behind on the uh, paramount lot and somehow i got invited they (laughs) they knew i was there and they said hey why don't you why don't you come out i think it was uh the director of media relations julie fye who who said you know what why don't you come with us so so I wind up uh, you know, in, a, in a car with Alvin Gentry and, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was Channing Fry and a couple other players driving over there. And then uh, and we get there and there's a little reception beforehand. And I'm standing there and I'm I'm out of place. There's no reason I should be at this thing. A bunch of you know, a bunch of Duke alum and a bunch of NBA guys and a bunch of you know, uh, movie executives all hanging around on, on the Paramount lot, and I'm standing there, and, and Steve Nash is kind of standing at the table trying to eat some stuff, and all these people just keep coming up to him, coming up to him, and it's obvious that, you know, he's not going to get a chance to eat, let alone uh, catch his breath, because everybody keeps just wanting to talk to him, which makes sense, he's a, a former two-time MVP at that point, still a big name in the game, and. Uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to walk over there and just pretend like we're having a conversation so people leave them alone because nobody's <laughs> talking with them. Smart. So, you know, I went over and, and we just sat there and uh, kind of interacted for, for a few minutes. But I said, look, man, I just, I figured you could use a break. We don't, we don't have to talk or anything. And we just stood there for five minutes. It was a very human moment. He was very nice. And it was uh, kind of a like welcome to the, to the NBA moment because he was, very nice to me and it was uh just one of those things i'll never forget about it a guy that not a lot of people got the chance to to be around like that it was just uh it was just fun to be around so that was kind of my off the court steve nash memory
0: wonderful and you mentioned julie fye and you know and i know julie fye is pretty much the best in the business in terms of public relations media relations just want to mention that but uh um, so, yeah, so what about Steve Nash on the court? What, are, what was your signature moment that you've watched over his entire career in terms of his amazingness? I think people always seem to take, try to take away his two MVPs and give them to other people. But what do you, what you see from him on the court?
1: Well, I'll, I'll go with one that isn't a, you know, an amazing play or anything, but, uh, again, that last season, last game of his at U.S. Airways Center, when uh, he he's out of the game, and fans want want him to come back in. Alvin Gentry had taken him out; didn't look like he was going to play again. And uh, I'm I'm on TV at the time. I was we had a social media sideline reporter. Her name was Katie Christensen. and I had to uh, on this particular game. I was I was her producer, and on this particular game, I had to stand up on camera next to her and hold an autographed Grant Hill ball because that was what they were giving away and she needed somebody to model it. So I was basically playing Vanna White. And as we're <laughs> standing there, we hear this swell of, we want Steve that just starts to build and wow. build and build. And for five minutes that, that we want Steve chant went around that arena until finally Alvin Gentry put Steve Nash back in and the irony of it is his final play as a, as a son at, at U.S. Airways Center was a turnover when they put him back in, and Steve laughed about it. But, like, it was one of those moments as a sports fan I will never forget and really I think was a coming-of-age moment for, for Arizona sports fans because we're not exactly always the most savviest of fans, and I thought that, that was one of the more classy moments that uh, – that there was uh, from a pure play uh, standpoint of Steve Nash, I remember a had to be two thousand six, a double, a double or triple overtime game against the New Jersey Nets. It was Nash versus Kidd, and I just remember these two guys going back and forth and dueling for for actually, I think it was three overtimes, mm-hmm, and they just yeah. kept going back and forth, and Nash just stuffed the statue and To me, that just has stuck out in my mind. I know it's an obscure game, and probably not one most would pick. But that's always kind of stuck out in my mind as as kind of the embodiment of the Steve Nash seven seconds or less era, because it was him dueling against another great point guard and a, and a former Suns point guard at that as well. And it's just a it just. Uh, it just for some reason, sticks out in my mind as one of the one of the quintessential Steve Nash moments.
0: Yeah, I definitely remember. I remember that his last game and as a son, it was amazing. And I he was such a masterful point guard. He had the eyes in the back of his head, the ability to see a play before developed and really make the right pass. Randomly, I remembered that. Uh, you were saying last games. I actually do. You remember uh, Dan Marley's last game? <laughs> Yes, where he couldn't hit a three, and then he he kept, started doing the push up That was, was, the, that was hilarious. Him. That was, I forgot about that. That was that was so funny. he was
1: wearing those awful shiny. Remember when the uniforms in the early 2000s were were shiny? Mm-hmm. They had that weird shine to them? Mm-hmm. I, I, for some reason, that sticks out in my mind from
0: that, too. So. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah. So let's, let, let's let do some Amari talk here. So... I do, I mean, we, actually, let's wrap up Steve Nash with what do you think about his legacy? Because I've been talking legacy with uh, about Melo and Tyson Chandler and some other people with on some other podcasts here, other episodes. And I want to talk about Steve Nash's legacy, two MVPs, he's obviously going to the Hall of Fame. Um, he's already the Ring of Honor. What do you think his legacy is going to be? The best cha- player ever to not win a championship?
1: Uh, he'll be in that in that argument with you've got Stockton and Malone and Barkley and guys like that that were were in the argument of uh, best to never win a championship. I think I think Steve's a guy. The further we get away from from his time on the court, uh, the more we're going to appreciate just what he did. Mm-hmm. I remember last year when we were preparing for his uh, for his Ring of Honor ceremony. And you went back, and we had to go through and and pick out all sorts of highlights and do all sorts of you know film and, and video clips for online and mm-hmm. in arena and everything. You go back and you watch, and you just you forget how amazing he was, how fluid those passes mm-hmm. were, the the way he could cut through the lane, cut down the baseline and throw a pass to a guy in the corner without even thinking about it. Just just the amazing things he could do and how effortless it was. I think down the year or down the line 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're really going to realize just how great Steve Nash was, and I don't think we fully appreciated it in the moment.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I even have patterned this, the Steve Nash, there's obviously the one that I think you and I and other people talk about where you're running down the court and he uh, stops and gets someone to run into him, but uh, the one I really think is the Steve Nash is where you drive baseline then keep going just keep going in a circle until you lose the guy that was following you and just make a layup completely open Yep. <laughs> just keep driving in a circle until you're open um,
1: yeah and, and you don't see you don't see guys really do that he, he was a, a one of a kind in that
0: way well that's definitely one of the things that I think that when you get to the NBA you lose your ability to keep your dribble like people forget they think oh I gotta shoot it oh I gotta pass because it's such a quick game until the game really slows down for them after a couple of years. It's like they want to get their shot off. They want to. They don't want to disappoint their coach. They want to execute the game plan. But really, it takes a lot of maturity to keep your dribble alive. I see Booker. I saw him pick up his dribble and the other in the last couple of days. I think I think uh, the game day for yesterday. He saw one where he drove middle baseline, He was in the middle, almost double teamed. Pick up his dribble, had to throw it way out, almost to half court because you didn't keep it going. It's one thing that's really hard to to teach because it's something that's in your brain that you really have to be intentional about doing and keeping your dribble alive, which is, it's easier to pick it up because it's easier to secure it that way and not get it stolen, but you have to have that that, um, balance between the possibility of it getting stolen and the ability to have that versatility as you keep your dribble alive. Yeah,
1: and I think one of the benefits for Steve was he... Uh, playing at a at a small college and, you know, playing all four years there, uh, he he had to be more creative. You know, he, he had to do things that mm-hmm. you know, sometimes these top-flight talents that are one and done probably don't have to do in their game. He had to be crafty. He had to outsmart guys. He had to find ways to get an advantage uh, where other guys wouldn't. And I think uh, that's probably why he did that so well was because it was something he could have an advantage in when his size and all those other things and athleticism were never going to be what the advantage was mm-hmm. it had to be doing things that others weren't
0: yeah he, I mean he was uh, barely um, recruited out of high school and he went to Santa Clara and just played played well and got in the NBA and made it I mean that's he just did what it takes I and mean, he's a in that sense you can compare him to Stephen Curry a Davidson I mean you didn't think he was going to be amazing, you thought he was going to be an NBA player probably, but not MVP type caliber player, but they have the skill set and the core strength and the ability to shoot with that shot release, and you can make it.
1: Yeah, but Steph had the pedigree though, with his father, mm-hmm. yep. Dell, and grew up around the game. I mean, Steve, that came literally out of nowhere. Nobody nobody knew who this, kid, this kid was, yeah.
0: <laughs> or South, Amer- South Africa, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about Amari Stoudemire. He is uh, even more, uh, more of an enigma than Sue Nash, Even I think, in terms of legacy, in terms of well, so what do you? What is your favorite um, part? What's your favorite clip about Amari? Um, and in terms of that, and what do you think his legacy is going to be?
1: Oh, well, my favorite clip's got to be the Oladari old dunk where he just posterizes a seven-one former one number one pick and just just destroys him. I but. What Amari's legacy is going to be is what if? Mm-hmm. What if he didn't get injured? What if he was around for for more of those, you know, sons' years that he wound up being out? Whether it was the eye injury or the knees, whatever it was, it's it's that what if? And I think he's another guy. I mean, I said we didn't appreciate Steve enough in his time, you know, and when we go back and look, I think we will more, but. I don't think we fully appreciated Amari either. He's kind of like the Tom Chambers of his era. Tom isn't the guy that anybody, in when they think back at the late 80s, early 90s sons, you rarely hear people go, Tom Chambers was my favorite. That guy, Mm -hmm. you know, is an all-time great son. These things, you know, just praise that guy. It's usually, you know, they talk about KJ. They talk about Marley. You know, some people will talk about the the random scoring off the bench from eddie johnson but Mm -hmm. i don't think tc gets his due like he should have for that era and i think that's what amari's going to be with the seven seconds or less when you go back and think about it because everybody always uh got on him for not rebounding enough didn't play enough defense but if you go back and look he averaged eight or nine rebounds uh, a year for for most of the seasons he played like most suns fans would kill for a guy that Dropped 21 and grabbed you know eight or nine lords right now and i think we were spoiled at the time and looked at him and thought well there's all this potential that he's not reaching rather than accepting that we were watching a pretty special specimen at the time doing things that we may never see fully on the court again i mean marquis chris is an interesting comparison to Amari with the athletic potential and and some of what he can do, but I just mm-hmm. he's Amari's a guy that I think will be the forgotten of the seven seconds or or last era.
0: Yeah, people people put a, put Chris and Amari together, but I mean people there are kids right now who only saw post knee injury Amari Stottmeier, and they are gonna they need a YouTube right now that. He was explosive. He was probably the most one of the most explosive players I've ever seen. It's different than athletic, like but explosive in terms of first step and junking the ball and getting in the lane. He was so explosive. And he just bounced around after the he had the knee surgery, the eye you we were talking about. Um so it's it was it was interesting. But like between him and Chris, like Amari is way stronger than Chris is. We'll see if Chris can get there, but Amari was really strong. And oh, yeah, well- yeah.
1: And if, if Amari doesn't get injured, they win a title. Oh I mean, yeah, it's just it's that simple. He was he was that amazing of a player. You put him with a guy like Steve Nash that could find him anywhere for those alley oops that they used to connect on in, in his early years. And that, you know he they would have won a title if his knees didn't give out. And it's much like Penny Hardaway's mm-hmm. history. You, you wonder how great they could have been if it weren't for those. Uh, uh, for those injuries that, that happen to their knees, and when your when your primary uh, you know game is based on athleticism, those knees are the most important thing you have.
0: Yep. I mean, it's kind of yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of amazing. I mean, if they don't get suspended, what's it? What year was that? 07? Yeah, 07 Yeah. I mean, like they then they then win a title, and then also if they win a title that year, then his MVP season is Steve Nash's MVP season is much more legitimized. And uh, he was no, he was MVP. five oh six I believe.
1: Yeah, you win, you win a title. You don't, you don't ever make the Shaq trade. You roll that. You keep continue to roll that team back out. Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of what ifs with that. What if D'Antoni played more than a six or seven man rotation? So when they get to that game where Diao and Amari are suspended, that they actually have a bench that they can turn to that it'd be productive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you. If you're dusting guys off out of mothballs in that game and trying to hope that all of a sudden they're going to be able to play in that an important playoff game, you've shot yourself in the foot already. And that was that was something that D'Antoni uh, would, I'm sure, even himself admit that he should have had a longer bench. And I think you see in Houston, he's he's kind of learned those lessons. So there's there's so many what ifs when it comes to that to those seventh-second or less teams, and I think Amari's probably the
0: biggest one. Definitely, and we can talk about Marion some of the time. We don't have too much time here, but I do want to remember to mention it to you and to everybody. You mentioned Boris Diaz. If everybody wants to check out my interview with Matthew Tyan of the Spurs, uh, real GM, I, he gave Boris Diaz, Kawhi Leonard, and Tim Duncan stories that no one's ever heard before about them because he was in the locker room and he hadn't told anybody yet, so you and everybody should check that out because it was interesting, interesting stories. But um, what do you think about Booker? I mean, people—he's very, he is one very hyped person ever since he broke out in his rookie year. And I think that hype has gone too far in terms of expectations on how to assess a player like this. What do you think?
1: Well, he's twenty years old, and it, he, he got caught in a perfect storm. Suns fans are desperate for something to cling on to in terms of hope for the future. And in a lost season that was just decimated by injuries last year, this young kid showed more promise than anybody ever expected from, from a guy drafted at his slot. And, mm-hmm. and a guy that was primarily viewed as a shooter at the time. So everybody you know, overinflated expectations coming into year two. Since he was the main offensive weapon last year for the second half of the season, All all defenses were focusing on him. Coming into this season, this is a natural regression. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not—it's not something to overly panic about. Yeah, is his shooting uh, has his shooting struggled? Yes, but let's look at the the roster that's out there with him. Who's really making it easier for him to get open shots, anyways? Who's drawing drawing the defense other than, than Eric Bledsoe It's not Tucker.
0: It's not Chandler. It's not Chris. And that's no, the only people out there with him.
1: No, and you, with. With Bledsoe, you know, if he's the primary ball handler and trying to trying to make things happen to get a Booker open, it's just it's not ideal. You're not you're not putting him in the best position to be able to score, especially when you know against the Spurs, Kawhi Leonard was on him at for part of the time. I mean, it's just anybody that thinks that the the sky's caving in when it comes to Devin Booker and that that potential all of a sudden is gone and. What bail on this young guy or is just kidding themselves i mean he still has i think it's five 30 point games this season and and that that's with all these struggles he's gonna I mean, be he, yeah. all right I, at, at some point i think he's probably a number two on on a really good roster i don't think he's the number one guy just like a clay thompson mm-hmm. isn't the number one guy in golden state and probably wouldn't be the number one guy on on another contender if you want there he he's a really really good player with an amazing head on his shoulders i spent i know a, a lot of last season with booker including uh, in toronto when he was there for all-star weekend and i've never met a teenager who's more composed and better well put together to succeed as a professional athlete than than devin booker is there's mm. no doubt in my mind that he has all the intangibles and what it will take to actually be a great player, the biggest question is, is the Suns' environment one that can actually mold him into that kind of player, and can they put the kind of guys around him that are necessary for him to be to, to blossom into the kind of player we all hope he'll be? But anybody thinking that this kid is a disappointment with what he's averaging this year just because he's had some bad shooting nights – or just
0: kidding themselves. I mean, I, mean, I totally agree. And the, I mean, people. This goes for Ulis and Ulias and Bender and Chris as well. McDonough, draft you draft these people for their what is it, twenty six to thirty age seasons. You mm-hmm. you take the time before that to mold them into the player you want them to be in terms of character, in terms of skill set and role. And that I mean, obviously there's there's trades in between. You're not everything, but it's not a surefire shot to stay on your team for, for those seasons but they' their assets in that sense but th- like this is a, it's a development you win as many games as you can because that's how you make the character form the players but that's not that's not why they drafted them they don't this is not a finished product and no one is expecting them to be for just for context for what you were saying about Booker last year just for those who don't know um, Booker was the 13th player drafted in the in the in 2015. And last year, he was. They had lost Bledsoe and Knight, and Marcus Morris was injured, bad, and traded. And they lost TJ Warren for most of the second half. So he, they were playing without their top four scorers, and Booker was basically the only player that was producing at a high level. So just for context for everybody, this, this it's very weird. Very, it's very weird to see him being slightly worse when everybody knows who he is and how he plays now. And he was, I mean, when he was at Kentucky, he didn't even start, and he was just a shooter, and he has improved so much. Even over the offseason, he improved his floor game and his, his ability to hesitate and dribble so well. Um, let's switch sw- switch to Bender. What do you think about Bender and how everybody's handling him, Watson? It's something that we talk about on Twitter endlessly in the Suns um, media set, but what do you think?
1: Well, let me let me put one other thing into in the context when it comes to these Young guys. Every time a uh, Suns fan wants to get down on whether it's Chris Bender, Eulis, Booker, uh, any of that group, remember the fact that when they go to Las Vegas Summer League, they're not even old enough to walk the casino floors yet. <laughs> okay, let's let's keep that in mind. So there's don't pass judgment on these on these kids before before uh, they they're even old enough to crack a beer open legally let's keep that in mind but when it comes to bender i i think it's been ridiculous that he hasn't seen the court more often if if you believe in him if you thought he was worth the fourth pick and you know if if you're of the belief like i think most of us are now i don't know if the sun's coaching staff is but the rest of us are that this, this is a season more about development than it is about attempting to make the playoffs or anything like that then you need to get this guy on the floor because In the brief flashes we've seen, I think he's actually more prepared for minutes than Marquise Chris is. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew coming Mm -hmm. into the draft that Marquise Chris was raw. It's why the Suns didn't take him at four and that Bender was closer to a more polished product. So I think Bender should be seeing the floor more. We saw it against the Spurs. He gets minutes. He puts up a double-double. Last night, I don't understand why. I think he finished with... Uh, 11 minutes i know he's in some foul trouble but yeah. put him out there if he fouls out who cares yeah like that i mean what are you what are you saving the the three four other or two or three other fouls that he had it's not like you can bank him for later in his career where he can have a game where he gets away with ten fouls <laughs> let him foul out <laughs> that's let him learn. Um, you know like it's it's just let this let this kid grow because that's what this whole season is about and play him in the right position they've been playing him on the wing more than anything. And that's just, I don't think that's where you're going to see this guy uh, blossom. I I think I read 62% of his shots have been three pointers so far. And that's because most of his minutes have been at the three where he's having to go up against small forwards who are fairly athletic. And one of his advantages at, you know, at seven one and his foot speed is the fact that he can beat a a power forward or center off the dribble he can create mismatches that way but when you put him at the three against uh, against small forwards you're you're lessening what that advantage is and now he, he's better on defense than Chris I just I would like to see Drog and Bender get uh, significant minutes going into the second half of the year and I don't know that it should come at the expense of Marquise Chris I wouldn't mind playing them both one at the four one at the five I mean positions when it comes to whether you're a center or forward don't really matter in today's game uh, except for the, the the defensive matchup on the other end. So mm-hmm. I really I really would like to see them both get substantial minutes. And you know what, for that matter I'd like to see Tyler Eulis get time off the bench as well. If, if we want to learn what these guys have bring to the table, there's no better time than putting them in now when you know that you're once again battling for a high lottery pick you might as well learn and and let these kids grow because if Booker didn't get those minutes in the second half of last year nobody would be talking about him the way they were he wouldn't have grown the way he has he wouldn't have been put in a in a position where he had to learn leadership and and some of the stuff was thrust on him that I think will help him later in his career if if he never got out there last year
0: yeah I think that definitely you can uh um, I though I love Arbosa and it's just like the coolest ever um Ulis should probably get some of his minutes and some of Brandon's minutes Brandon Knight but uh, yeah I don't I don't I mean that if you put Bender and Chris out together that um that unit is going to get gouged in terms of so much but just because they're rookies and they don't understand and the game so fast for them but I would like to see it in limited minutes for sure I'm thinking both of them I mean? yeah. At, at some point in the future
1: you drafted both of these guys, they're part of your plan for for moving forward. At some point they're gonna to have to be on the court together if you think they're both top flight talents. So you might as well take your take your lumps in, in their rookie season and one where you're gonna be bad rather than hold off and wait until later on to see see how they can handle it together.
0: Oh yeah, but I mean I think they should be put on together at long extended minutes when they're twenty two and they've they understand the NBA. Maybe, I mean, obviously, I want to see in limited minutes now to see what it looks like. Then also, yeah. I don't know if we, I don't want to, I don't want Len, who's in a field in a more crucial spot right now in his career in terms of development. I don't want to take too many minutes away from him, but you can take him away from Tyson Chandler. Um, well, I guess, yeah. I guess
1: it depends on is Len part of your future plan? Which the only person that can answer that is Ryan McDonough and his staff. You know, they're, yeah. they're the ones that know if he's a legitimate part of this future, but if he's not then even cutting his minutes doesn't bother me all that much because th- this is all about building that next great sons team uh, and not about you know what the 2016 17 end result looks
0: like but that's what kind of not bugs me but is that like at some point you're going to have to stick with a stick with the core until they're in their prime and like mm-hmm. just continue like Alex Len was the future for a couple of years and now it's like he's not like, you can't just keep going younger and younger until you hit, a, like, the a transcendental, trans, transcendent generational talent. Like, that's going to happen eventually, but that's not really, I don't know, you can't rely on that. So, at some point, you're going to have to... I mean, I think, think Booker is a good starting point. Booker, Chris, like, I think we're at where it is, but continue to say, oh, we'll just... And like, oh, he's always not an all-star, so get rid of him. Not, well, so I, I, think, I don't
1: disagree, but it depends on what you're overarching plan is, too, because if Ryan McDonough's plan is to you know accumulate assets to try to be in a position to make a trade for an established star at, at some point, then you'll probably see this continued recycling. If it's a commitment to building strictly through the draft and trying to put together the best roster you can of, of young guys, then, then you'll see them stick around longer. I'm not sure 100% what the plan is. Is and I think that'll be revealed in the next year and a half because you know, the clock's ticking on on McDonough and, and what he's going to be able to accomplish.
0: Yeah, Len, with his, I think he is his, his. He in October he had a um, he, his uh, contract was not updated or whatever, so I think yeah, he's a free agent next year. He's free agent in October. Um, yeah, I think he's restricted. I think he's restricted this, this exactly. coming summer where we can match him. Exactly. And the so next year he's unrestricted. And yep. we don't know, what, who knows what happens with Brandon Knight the next two months. And we'll see what happens. But as long as they don't get rid of Dudley and Barbosa, because I think having them on the team has really helped culture. Culture is so important. And uh, so I've talked about this on the podcast a bunch, but uh, different episodes. But um, this is pretty great. This is great here, Espo. um, I'm, I'm sure everybody's already following you, but why don't you plug it and uh, we'll get out of here.
1: Yeah, on, uh, on Twitter, it's simple. It's at Espo. So follow yeah. me. I'm working uh, currently with Sports360AZ.com. I'm kind of their uh, son's, uh, I hate the word expert, but we'll <laughs> go with that. Uh, Insider. I, 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 I write, uh, write weekly there, and uh, you can check it out. And I'm uh, usually on Twitter uh, making sarcastic commentary during the game.
0: Yeah, your hashtag and your life motto is hashtag snark. So <laughs> so everybody should be aware of that and, and love it. We love you, ASPO, and we'll uh, see you later. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Sounds good. Anytime,
0: man. Hey, man, have a good day.
1: Yeah, you too. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.